Hey everybody, welcome to Tubby Talk, a new show starring myself, Terry of Terry Leahy Films, and these two fine gentlemen that own this establishment. Their names are... Uh, Chris McGuire. Steve Wright. Me and the guys from Tubby Robot are going to talk about all our favorite classic gaming. Now, why would we talk about classic gaming, fellas? Yeah, so uh, we have a system here we call Wallow Vision, uh, where we have a new classic arcade game every week. We project it on the wall, kids play it with uh, standard arcade joysticks that we built ourselves, and uh, we get, have a lot of fun to see kids react to games they never played before. Steve, let's hear it. Are you into 8-bit gaming as much as this guy who designed all these beautiful things behind us? I've loved it ever since the Atari 2600, which... Whoa, way, way back! back yeah. that's, that's the best way to experience soul-crushing defeat, oh, yeah. but also snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So the big thing that I want to talk to you guys about is what was the game that meant so much to you when you were a kid and got into this whole 8-bit world? While I played Super Mario Brothers 1, and I loved it, I didn't get to play it very long. I didn't ever get to sink my teeth into it. Mm -hmm. And then Super Mario Brothers 2, on release, captured my imagination for six months until it came out. <laughs> and then as soon as I played it Christmas afternoon, I fell in love. There was the Mario I knew, and the Luigi I knew specifically, in a whole new world. And they were in full four color action. And <laughs> yeah, and they weren't blocks anymore, right? It was like the character design changed. Yeah, the character design and also the gameplay design because each character had their own specific movement style and their own strengths and weaknesses. So Mario 2, it's funny. I mentioned to someone that we were doing this and I was like, so what was your favorite experience? And he said, definitely in Mario 2, when the ice guys with the pitchforks show up in like the fourth world, that the first time he was able to like jump and then duck and dodge and still Slide. sliding on the ice and succeed that he just felt like the biggest hero in the world because of how hard it was. Uh, I'm gonna be very pedestrian, um, but it was really Mario 1. Mario 1 changed my life, like in, in no uncertain terms. Uh, at the time, I was kind of a proto-hipster uh, because <laughs> all the kids at school were way into NES. I mean, this was like, you know, 1987 and people are talking about it all the time. I was like, oh, all those kids are into it, and they're all jerks anyway, and I don't want to play that. I just want to play my tandy computer games. Yes. Then my parents got it. I wasn't asking for it, but my parents got it. That's the best kind. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. NES came with, uh, you know, the triple pack console. Uh, cartridge came with Mario 1, Duck Hunt, World Class Track Meet. Uh, I plugged it in, and it was unlike anything I'd ever played. It was uh -huh. exploring a world. It was jumping and running, and I remember very distinctly the most, like, emotional reaction I got from it at the time. There's a, it's like World 5 or World 6. You go into a secret pipe, okay. and you go to um, a, a world where there are mushrooms, spotted oh, yeah. mushrooms that you're jumping on. And for some reason as a kid, me and my sister thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen in our lives. Like, <laughs> polka dot mushrooms! Oh my god! So we're just laughing and just like dying because we're laughing too hard. Like we couldn't make it through the level without laughing. Uh, and just like the secrets in that game, and like it was back in the age. Of course, there's no internet, so you're going and talking to people. That's on the right. Yard. That's Did you right. That, was, that made it better. Page? Yeah, and I remember like better. saying explicitly, like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to get to level four because in the instruction book, like that's where Buzzy Beetles come out." And my friend <laughs> at the time, he was like, "You know," I was like, "What happens when you shoot them with fire?" He's like, "Nothing happens." I was like, "What? There's no way." <laughs> <can't beat> them. <laughs> if you can't beat them, what's happening? Uh, so, so yeah, it's just like that kind of through the grapevine. Like it was such a, an amazing secret. Now, this is kind of cool. This is pretty interesting because my game that blew the back of my head off 
was Mario 3. Oh, wow. <laughs> this the is trilogy. amazing. The tri- is well, amazing. you have a representative. That's pretty cool. It, it was just the perfect storm of Mario when Mario 3 came out. There was a show on TV called The Book of Mario, and I was age appropriate for the cartoon. It's about that game and everything in it. There were the new, uh, the inclusion of the Koopa Kids now. Mm-hmm. Whole new element to get through. And just the playability of that game was unlike anything I had ever felt. Now, yes, there's warp whistles and stuff in that game so you can get around, but no matter what, you have to play those first three levels, and I love every single one of them, every single time I have to go through it. I just remember there was so much new in that game. You know, you could pick up the shells and run with them. You could get powers, and I think the power-ups might have been the big thing for me that changed it. Hammer Brother suit were my favorites. to the frog suit was a big deal, because it was hard. The level of difficulty of all three of those games, I think, was perfect. Hard enough at the end to really make you upset, and great enough in the beginning where every time you start the game, it's fun. But it just, it just meant so much to me, that game, and that I can still pick it up to this day and play it and have a great time is amazing. You know, it was great. So specific experiences, not necessarily games, but things that happened in 8-bit games that you remember that just changed everything for you, that you were not expecting. Yeah, the first game that comes to mind with like weird, mind-blowing stuff that actually worked uh, was probably Dragon Warrior. I remember. Uh, which in Japan, Japan was Dragon Quest, but uh, the, they gave that game away for one season uh, when you got a Nintendo Power subscription. Ooh. So all the parents back then would be like, oh, a magazine subscription, I'm free That game. explains why that was always floating around my friends' houses. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> so that was the moment I started getting Nintendo Power. I got Dragon Warrior, and it was kind of the first turn-based RPG I ever played. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Dragon Warrior was just such an in-depth, weird game. Everything was through a menu. Yeah. It was the sort of game where you could check. Any square you on, you could check. And it would <laughs> usually say, like, you found nothing. But every once in a while, they're like one out of a thousand squares. There would be some amazing legendary item hidden. I like that it was out of a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it was a big game. Uh, and it, it, what was cool about that game was um, it taught you how to play it through brutality, kind of the way that like modern Dark Souls uh, teach you through oh, brutality. But like every time you cross a bridge in that game, the enemies got harder, and usually mm-hmm. you were underleveled for that. So you cross a bridge, and like a magician would show up and just destroy you with one spell, and you'd be dead. So for me, um, I remember uh, there was a game on the Game Boy called Kirby's Dreamland. Oh, yes. About a white little pup ball who sucked stuff in. He, it he back was out. white back then, it's true. He was white back then. Then this game called Kirby's Adventure comes out, and he is pink now. <laughs> Great! Great, that's fine, he's pink. So I just hit the start button, start playing the game. I'm with my buddy Micah, and we're playing, and um, you know we're having fun, but it's like, all right, we've done this before. We've done this before. So we're playing, spit it out, and we both kind of got bored. We got bored after after you know a, a world or two. Like, don't get me wrong, it's a fun game. Then we're sitting there, and it's like, ah, do you want to keep playing? I don't know. We hit the reset button. I don't know why, but for some reason we hit the reset button, and we're sitting there talking to each other just like this, and the instructions film starts on Kirby's Adventure. And it's like him, this is how you fly, and I'm like looking at it every once in a while, like I know how to do it, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then he does something where he takes an enemy in, and you see him squash down, he comes out, and he has a beam thing. And my head, like, it just exploded. I was like, Wah! I remember screaming with my buddy, just looking at each other, Wah! like, looking at how exciting this is that there's a new ability. And we immediately started the game again and played all, at oh, least it changes all the way through. It changed everything, made it so much more fun, so much more enjoyable. And I will never forget it. And Kirby games always have a special place in my heart because of that. Like, 
that magical moment. You missed out on like the core mechanic of that game. Yes. But then, oh yeah, it was so good in that too because every different enemy was a new ability. Yeah, was- there were so many. Such a fun game, loved it so much. So what is the game that you could talk to somebody about, 8-bit game, that you could talk for literally four to five hours about? Oh, good lord. Could be about anything. And if you need a minute, I'll go first. There is this game called A Boy and His Blob <laughs> for regular Nintendo. And it's not a good game. It's not a fun game, but it's like, why does this exist? That was the thing about Nintendo. There were so many games on the NES because it was still a toy. It hadn't become its own billion dollar empire that it is today. It was a toy, so everybody was trying to get in on it. So you remember there were like the gold cartridges and the gray cartridges and the gold ones were always like games that were halfway developed or not even done. (laughs) I feel like A Boy and His Blob was one of those, but it was this game where there's this little jumping white blob and you fed him jelly beans and if you gave him a different jelly bean he would turn into a different thing and help you get somewhere but i never got past the first level and i threw every damn jelly bean there was at him and just you couldn't get past certain things i'm pretty sure it was undone but there was this one thing you could turn him into a rocket and then you flew away like you get to this area and all it does is drop you off at a tree and then a thing kills you you can't avoid it it's just like letting you know this jelly bean is an instantly kills you so who knows why that game was developed or anything, but I just remember it existed and all I thought was, why? Someone, I guess, I mean, I think it's one of those games where you needed a guide and you sat down with yeah. the guide and you just Probably. did everything the guide. And, and what's ironic, I didn't know you at the time, but I read the guide in Nintendo Power, never played the game, but I knew what every jelly bean did. We needed and each what other. We, could do <laughs> yeah. jelly beans. we needed each other. I didn't know it was in Nintendo Power because I was a collector, man. I believe it was Nintendo Power. And I definitely, you got the characters on the side and I then I don't remember when I dropped off. I think they put a Harry Potter on the cover, and I was like, wrong kind of nerd, bro. And then I just kind of left. If I had to talk about an NES game, like, that I played the heck out of um, Battletoads. Yeah, I I know. You stole my game. Uh Uh-huh. Even better. Let's battle. (laughs) Uh, No, Battletoads is amazing. Battletoads, uh, at the time, I was like, this is the best graphics, and it's not just a Ninja Turtles ripoff. It's way better than Ninja Turtles (laughs) games. And I was like... I was into the mythos of the game because thanks to Nintendo Power, it yeah. was a really dumb mythos, but I was into it. it, it, it Did you see it, the, the cartoon? book style mythos. Yeah, I, I used to watch the cartoon. There is a pilot of the cartoon somewhere out there. But yeah, but Battletoads. Ba- Battletoads. So yeah, so like, I love the art design. I love the whimsy of it. And especially when you finish the combo and Zitz's foot turns giant. Yeah. And just kicks the rat away. And I'm like, why is this not in more games? That was probably the first beat em up game I played. Where you could like pick up something and then like beat them with a pipe. There were yeah. so many options. And, and each stage had its own theme. Like you start the first stage and sustain or beat them like walking around on this weird alien planet with these walkers you can knock down. Like Terry said, pick up the legs and beat other things <laughs> with the leg. And then you fight a giant walker that from the walker's first person point of view, which shooting like oh, rocks or balls or that. something at you. Yeah. And you pick them up and throw them back, and then the second stage is in the belly of a beast, literally. Yeah, you're going down the tunnel. Oh yeah, and you can turn into a, what is it, a wrecking ball. Yeah. I loved the first level of that game. Even the second <laughs> level was great. I just wish I got to another stage oh. where you got to just punch and fight. That's why we can talk about this game for hours, because there's so many things that so many people have not seen. And every level is like a different game almost. Almost, like, yeah. It's nuts. It was like an 80s metal-based game, right? Because I remember the, the Dark Queen was toned down quite a bit for the uh, cartoon show. Because yeah. she was a whole lot of woman in the, in the video game. So what were some weird things that kind of happened as a result of gaming? For me, 
I, my vocabulary and my reading skills were insane <laughs> as an eight-year-old, like insane. Because, you know, nobody talked, it didn't talk to you back then. You had to like read it all. I just remember that being this weird new ability I had because of all the reading you had to do in games, specifically games like Zelda. Like A Link to the Past taught me how to speak so well that I had probably a bit of a Hillian accent for a while. <laughs> well, they def games definitely improved my hand-eye um, coordination yeah. greatly. And then when the report came out and then it was all over the news in like the early 90s about how it increases your hand-eye coordination, I felt so vindicated. Because <laughs> I always told my mom that and she, she thought I was lying the entire time. I would also, it also helped my um, eyesight a little. Hmm. Not that I never needed glasses, but as much as I sat and stared at that screen, I learned to pick out individual pixels, which helped on like Mega Man, where you have to make those pixel-perfect jumps yes. wow. off the edges. And my mother swore that I needed glasses because I was always so close to the screen. I was like, I have to see where the jump is. I have to see exactly where that pixel is to know what to do next. I can definitely join you in that. I, just, I have distinct memories of my father walking into the room where I was playing games, like TV's right here, and him just knowing how it was going to work, he would just pick me up from behind, pull me back, <laughs> and put me down. So I'm like this the whole time, like never having to leave. It was just, I have distinct memories of that every day when he came home from work, just there, There's something magical about the 8-bit sprite. So much so that they're still doing it today. If I'm not mistaken, Shovel Knight is 8 bits. It's kind of like a quasi higher definition 8-bit sort of thing, yeah. But there's just something so wonderful about games like that, and I'm curious what you guys think it was. Uh, I think a lot of it is uh, it, it's readability. Like you can see those games and you move, you press the button and you see what your character does immediately. It's just, it, it's much easier to pick up. It's much easier to see what's going on in those levels. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, to get technical on it, uh, yeah. modern games have uh, a degree of, referred to as input lag, for, for lack of a better term there, where you press the joystick forward and the animation begins for that person to be start moving. Back then, there wasn't an animation necessarily. There was like a two, Frame sort of walking. Yeah, yeah, like in Mega Man, he's standing still with his two feet he's out. Standing still, or and he's he press walking. a button, or he's walking. And that pixel difference between standing still and walking was the difference on some stage between living and dying. It's weird yeah. to think that those games were in a way faster. Yeah. Oh, like, they absolutely were. So danger was more real. <laughs> and you think of a modern game. More like immediate, a, yes. A third-person shooter. Right now, I'm thinking of something like Gears of War. Like Gears of War is a good game. I like modern games, but it's so different. Like yeah. it's, it, it's a different part of your brain. Like you start moving that guy, and he's like. All right, now I'm gonna start moving, and you hit the jump button, and he doesn't just jump. He goes, I'm gonna start putting my hands on it, and then I'm gonna start jumping over it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, there's an immediacy that's that's lost. Yeah. It's certainly not realistic, but that's part of the magic of it. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't see things move like that in real life, and when you try to emulate that on a game, it's just boring real life again. Right. <laughs> I think it's that it's instinctive, too. Like, anybody can pick up an 8-bit game, doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, and just know what to do. There's a lot of room on this side of the screen. Maybe I should go that way. There's something on this pad that says, right. I'll push that. Oh, it did it, instinctively. Like, the fact that I don't remember any sort of, other than that Kirby moment, I don't remember any sort of in-game teaching ever on the Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. You push start, you're in it, man, and good luck to you. And you just kind of have to figure it out, and that's something that annoys me more than anything else in modern games is the first, God forbid it lasts three levels of teaching you new things or teaching you how to go. Especially if it's a game where it's part in a car and part open oh, world right. and you haven't gotten to a car until like 
four levels in, so you're skilled, you're ready to go, you don't ever want to wait for a thing again, and it's like, whoop, tutorial level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is horrible. And, and we, were, we were discussing earlier, but like they started doing that to some of these beloved properties, like Mega Man, the late Mega Man X started throwing that shit uh, in there. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> it did, it just changes the experience. There's just something magical about being able to just go. Like you guys have the systems right over here. You push start and you're in it and you get to go. And I think that that was the big thing for me. Well, what was magical for me was the art design because I loved the simplicity of the characters but also the complexity. Because I was always, especially when I learned what 8-bits were specifically and I was like, how did they fit all of that in this little 8-byte box? And it, it, it still blows my mind to this day a little bit, like eight binary digits. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I don't understand how you how they did that. So it was just like just seeing the difference because you can see the difference, especially in like Mario too. Mm -hmm. Um, but more so in, in the first one, where when he had a super mushroom, he was too big to fit in some spaces. You can see instinctively. Mm -hmm. So even my first time through stages, I'm like, oh, I know I can't go that way because he only fits in this. You know, he doesn't fit in that hole. Yeah. He's not. He, you know, it's a square peg in a round hole. Unless and you then, run and hit down. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you hold down the slide, which I did constantly. As soon as I found that out, <laughs> oh, yeah. every game I could find where you could do a oh, run. Oh, it feels so cool. It's, like, it's, it's awesome. It, it feels, feels great. So cool. But then also, so then when you move on from 8-bit, and you know, especially nowadays, like there are plenty of 3D games where it's like, oh, there's a hole, I'm going to go in there. And it's like, nope, your character model does not fit. Because it was not designed to fit, or there is no hole, actually, there's nothing behind, beyond it, you know, geometry-wise. But and it seems kind of false to me, because in the 8-bit games, everything was true. Either you, it was yes or no. You could fit or you could not fit. Awesome you could jump over or you could not jump over because it was a pixel too high. Now it's more artifice. It's like, is this gameplay or is this just set dressing? Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And back yeah. then there was no set dressing because everything was something you could interact with. Yeah. Well, there were smiling clouds. Yeah. <laughs> there were only smiling clouds. It's true. But even those moved with parallax scrolling, so they moved at different rates than That's the things true. you could jump on. So it kind of told you instinctively they were different, you know? This, this is, you can really dive deep on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really glad we're doing this. We, uh, we are going to wrap up the show. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, the first episode of Toby Talk. We hope you liked it. Please let us know um, things you agreed with us about, things you disagreed with us about, uh, what you liked, what you didn't like. And we're going to keep trying to do this for you. But we are always going to end the show with a recommendation. Mm. So 8-bit games that you recommend to the general public. If you haven't played it, quintessential. It is the quintessential, so you probably played it, but Mega Man 2. Mega Man 2 to me is the pinnacle of Mega Man games. Run, jump, shoot, all there is, it's, it's perfection. Oh my god, the, the music is all in my head. It has inspired a thousand cover albums. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna double down on that. My recommendation is all six. There are <laughs> six amazing, I mean, if you count nine and 10, those are also yeah. kind of eight-bit. Yeah. I mean, that's eight of the best games on the planet that you can play. And they're all super similar, and they feel good. They a couple, there's like tiny upgrades here and there, but play the whole thing if you haven't. Just have a, have a great time, and that could, you know that could last you weeks. Yes, like it's a great great time, and I, I hope you play it. So, I hope you play it. What about yourself? And I would like to recommend a game that at least has seemed very popular to me, but then every time I bring it up to someone, they've never heard of it before. It's called Wrath of the Black Manta on mm -hmm. NES. Never heard of it. See, <laughs> case in point. And Chris, when you heard of it, I think I believe because I told him about it multiple times. I don't yeah, know if you've heard about it. Yeah. yeah. So you basically play a ninja, and he's in like a seedy underworld type place fighting against a crime boss. And there's different like emblems in the world you find that gives you different powers. And um, so you, there's a little bit of stealth gameplay when you get the one that lets you tunnel underneath the ground like a trapdoor spider. And um, there's one that lets you j jump extra high, I believe. And 
just the fact that it changed up the gameplay so much, but yet was unheard of a lot of times. I don't understand why. Maybe it just wasn't a wide release. It just was one of those games where I would bring it up to anyone at school, and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I played the hell out of the game when I was, while I owned it, and it was amazing. Well, to all you gamers out there, we will, uh, we'll see you next time. I'm Terry. I'm Chris. I'm Steve. And this has been Tubby Talk. We'll see you soon. And make sure to come in, have ice cream, and talk to these guys about gaming. Or anybody that works here about gaming. And if you see me on the street, you know, leave me alone. No, I'm kidding. Come up and talk to me about <laughs> gaming and whatnot. This will be a good time. But glad to see you, and we'll see you soon. Bye, guys.